Hi everybody. Welcome to True Crime University. This is your Professor Debbie. I have a couple items of business before we get to today's case. I checked my stats recently. My uh, my podcast host gives me a, a, a breakdown of who's listening and where they are. And I was really, really excited to see some people from Europe, specifically France and Germany. So I would like to give a big bienvenue and willkommen. I hope I'm saying that right. I know the French is right because I studied French, but not sure about the German. But anyway, welcome. I am so glad to have you here in the classroom, as well as everybody else in the rest of the world, too. I got a new setup. I got a new microphone. It's a like a portable one as opposed to the one that's affixed to the desk in my other room. And I'm in my bedroom. I'm hoping that the sound will be better because I can shut Nathan out. I think he was, you could hear him bark on the last episode that I did. And I'm not right above the heat vent so that when the heat would come on in the other room, I would have to stop recording. And uh, it was really irritating. So hopefully this sounds better. And I got a little added bonus. I used to have a page on Facebook called The Nerd Nook. Because I'm a nerd. And I would write down various facts that I called fun facts that I would collect. And I have this, this thing about amassing useless information. And I have hundreds of index cards with these facts written on them. So I, they're just sitting here, and I thought, well, maybe I could just share them with the ends, since this is educational. Which brings me to, oh, when I'm drinking ginger ale, slancha, I got a disclaimer. All of the information I present is available to the public, and any sound clips are from news court, which are also public. The purpose of this podcast is for information and education, and I mean no disrespect to anybody, especially victims or their families, and I in no way intend to glorify criminals. I'm also hoping to cut down on the note card noise. Remember how much noise they used to make when I would go through them, so they're just sitting on my lap, so hopefully they won't make any noise. Okay, today's case takes place in the city of Mukilteo in Washington. And I'm going to really fight hard not to say Washington as we do in Pittsburgh. So if I, if I slip and say Washington, you know what I mean. This is a town right on Puget Sound, and it looks beautiful there. It's surrounded by water. And it has a beach and a lighthouse. I love lighthouses. It's a suburb of Everett. Its name is Native American for a good campground. They have a good economy. They have a Boeing plant that's uh, like airplanes, you know, aircraft manufacturer. Nearby, they have good schools and affordable houses. And in 2009, the town was named by Money Magazine, top 10 best small towns to live in in America. And the last murder 
obviously before this one occurred, was in 2003. So just to give you a little bit of background information about the place that this occurs, I had never heard of this town, so I'd like to know about the place that I'm going to talk about. Alan Christopher Ivanov was born on September 14, 1996, and I have conflicting information. Some sources say that he was adopted at a young age, and other ones just say that he was born to his parents. Their names are Anna and Dmitri, and they are Russian immigrants. And Alan is fluent in both English and Russian. Parents got divorced in 2015. By all accounts, he was your stereotypical, normal, good kid from a good family. He got good grades. He he graduated with honors. And in high school, he was into chess and robotics, so he was really, really smart. He was the type of kid that you would say had it all. You know, he had friends, and he had girlfriends, and he had money. And the only negative thing I found about him was that people who knew him and his family said that His parents kind of let him get away with too much, like he was spoiled. And he was extremely successful for as long as he was. He had a, quote, open source laser tag system. It was called Skirmos. And it's like a, sounds like a virtual reality video game. And he did uh, funding for it, and he got over $98,000. I would call that a lot of money. So, I guess he was like what you call a whiz kid. Now, Alan graduated from Kamiak, I hope I'm saying that right, high school in 2015, and he worked at an Apple store, and specifically at something called the Genius Bar, and that apparently is where people with Apple phones and tablets and so forth go to to get like technical help so he was he was like what you would call a tech geek i think he was attending the university of washington at Bothell, and he was majoring in computer science and engineering and all of this these events that i'm going to discuss take place during the summer of 2006 so not not really that long ago and Alan and all his friends, that's everybody else in this story, were going to be sophomores. So it was like right after they had finished being freshmen. And most of these other kids involved went to the same college. Now he had a girlfriend. Her name was Anna Bowie. She was the same age as him. And he'd been together with her for about a year and a half. Anna was, I have some pictures of her on Instagram and and Facebook. She was beautiful, smart. She wanted to be a nurse. She was apparently a talented singer. And she was said to be Alan's first kiss, first girlfriend, first love, first like everything. And he said that she was his dream girl. And everybody said they were like the perfect couple, you know, like, one of those couples that, you know, they, they're in high school and they go to the prom and then they go to college together, which they did. They went to the same college. 
and you know one, one of those couples but some point over this summer of 2016 they broke up some say that he was the one who ended the relationship because he needed time to work on himself which is as you'll see later is, is definitely true and other people say that she broke up with him because he didn't treat her right so at some point he realized that he had made a big mistake letting her get away and he wanted her back so I don't know if he actually talked to her and said hey I want you back or he just kind of put the word out through friends because they have remember they've been to high school together they go to the same college they have a lot of the same friends and she either told him no you know look you break up with me um you know that, that's it you, you don't get another chance or she, word just got back to him that she was not interested and he would later say that she sent him pictures from snapchat if you don't know what that is it's like a it's it's more something that younger people use it's it's the one with the filter that you take pictures of yourself and you got like the bunny ears or the dog nose and I don't would not have never done anything like that but I, I mean I've seen them I know what they are but supposedly you send it was made to send like dirty pictures like you you send it and it'll disappear after a certain time so that like the person can look at it for a few seconds and then it's gone well she sent him some of these snapshots nothing dirty of course but not even her and other dudes all they were just her out having fun with her girlfriends and he said that these were quote hurtful because i guess it was like look at me i'm you know i don't need you i'm out i've moved on and i'm out having fun without you so you know he he got uh, irritated at these so he started hearing rumors that, that she was seeing other boys and he didn't take it too well his friend said that when he heard this he just somehow changed he became angry and resentful and he started to talk nasty about her like a resentful you know that, that she was no longer interested in him and that summer anna and her sister annie it's a little bit confusing. Anna and Annie went to Europe as part of like a, a study abroad program. And it looks like she had a great time there. She went to Spain and Italy and Ireland. And she put pictures of where she went on her Instagram. And I have some of them on my Instagram and Facebook. They're, they're just the cutest pictures. Having such a good time and she looks so happy. And there's one that it's just heartbreaking because you see the date on it and it was taken the day before she was murdered. And she's at a um, place called Duck Lake. So sometime in July, Alan goes to a Cabela's store. That is, if you don't know what that is, that's like a hunting and sporting goods store. And he decided to buy himself a gun, which is a little bit odd because he had never even touched a gun before but all of a sudden he decides that he wants one so he buys a ruger ar556 semi-automatic 
and this is described as an AR-15 type of gun. So his mom finds it, and, and she's like, you know, what the fuck is this? And she apparently knows something is going on, and she's like, you don't need a gun. So she tried to take it back to the store, and they wouldn't take it back. So instead of, you know, hiding it or getting rid of it or somehow keeping it from him, she just gives it back to him. She's like, here you go. So his friends say that he became obsessed with Anna, like in a negative way. He would make remarks about killing her and that he wanted revenge and, and just like these dark thoughts. And he started getting on social media, which was odd for him because he'd never done. He started an Instagram account and a Twitter account. And he made some posts that the only word for them is disturbing. And I have those on my Instagram and Facebook. You can see them. He took a picture of the gun with some bullets. And the caption was, you can't run with me. And then he would send texts to his friends and he would sign them, Alan Ivanov, future shooter. And he texted one of his friends who lived in either Kentucky or Tennessee, like different things that I read said that it was either one or the other state. And he said that he was going to commit a mass shooting. And in one of these posts, his friend said, asked him, why are you so angry? And he said, I hate Anna. I want revenge. And later on, the friends that, that saw all these messages and, and got all these texts, they said, well, they knew that he hated her now, but nobody thought that he would actually shoot her. I guess they thought he was just blowing off steam or, or just talking. And later he would tell the police that he got the gun to use for target practice and the, that he had a gun safety class scheduled for early August. But more disturbingly, he told his friends that the gun was a symbol of power and made him feel powerful when he held it. So July 28th, Anna's out of town, and that is the day when she takes the last picture of her on that lake. That It's the last picture she puts on Instagram. So Alan puts his gun in the trunk of his Subaru and he drove to a, quote, quiet spot and he said he just sat there. And who knows what was going through his head, but I don't think it was good. So the next day, July 29th, he goes to work at the Apple Store at the Genius Bar, but he left early. He said he was sick. Then he goes back to the Cabela Store and he buys another magazine for his gun. And that night there was a party at the na the neighborhood of Chanot Beach, which is like a like a fancy neighborhood. And the house that it was in, I have a, a picture of it. It's it's huge. And it, it's like a, a million dollar it's like a mansion. I would call it a mansion, not not a house. And it's owned by Carl Bratvolt, who was a fisherman and he happened to be away for the weekend. And his son Tristan was the host of the party that was going on there that night. Now, I, I wouldn't call this, from what I've read, like a, 
you know, all the parents are out, let's have a wild party, let's ruin the house and invite 500 people and get drunk and everything. It, it seemed to be more of a get-together of the same group of friends who had gone to school together. And, you know, a lot of them were, since college was done for the summer, a lot of them were home for the summer. And, you know, it was a reason for them to kind of get together. And I don't know if Alan was invited or if he crashed the party. But anyway, he went to the party. So he gets there about 10 o'clock at night. And there's about 15 to 20 people there. So it's not like a huge party. When he went in, he saw that Anna was there. And people said they may have said like hello or, or somehow acknowledged each other. But they didn't like talk because... You know, it, you know how you just break up with somebody and you go to a party or whatever and you see them and it's kind of awkward. It's like, mm, you know, I wish he or she wasn't here. It was like that. So he leaves after a few minutes and he goes back to his car and he sits there for two hours. And what's he doing in the car for two hours? Well, he's reading the manual for his new gun, which he's still driving around with in the trunk. And he was reading, like, how to load it and shoot it. And it's kind of, it's weird because he goes and buys his big-ass gun. He's never even touched a gun. He, he doesn't know anything about guns. He has to read a manual on how to load and shoot it. And, I mean, if anybody shouldn't have a gun, it's him. So, anyway, then he loads it. And he puts 30 bullets in it, and that's the maximum it will hold. So now it's midnight, and I don't think I have to tell you what he has on his mind. He goes to go back into the house. He wants to sneak in. So he was kind of creeping around the house, and he sees his friend Jake Long. And he kind of like flattens himself against the house, trying to, you know, avoid being seen, but... Jake sees him, and Alan points the gun at him, and Jake screamed, no, 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 and he turned and started to run, but Alan shot him three times, and Jake fell down. He died almost instantly right in the yard there, and he later told police that when he was creeping around the house, you know, he'd already shot Jake. It was too late to turn back now, and that he felt this rush of adrenaline and that he thought that he had to finish what he set out to do. So he walks a little bit further into the yard and there's a fire pit there. And there's a few people sitting around the fire. There's Jordan Ebner, Will Kramer. So he aims at Will and shot him once in the back. Will crawled away. He got shot in the shoulder, but fortunately he survived. Jordan wasn't so lucky. He was shot once, and he died instantly. So now Alan goes into the house through the patio door, and he comes into the kitchen, and he sees Anna sitting at the table, and he shot her multiple times at point-blank range in the face and head. And when somebody aims for somebody's face or head, either with a gun or knife or, or whatever it is it, it's a personal attack it's and and we know that she was the target of his rage so everybody's 
by now, of course, screaming, and it's like pandemonium now. They're screaming and crying and hollering, and kids are running and hiding in the closets and in the bathrooms, and people start, you know, fortunately everybody has cell phones, and people start calling 911. And I have just a little snippet of the some of the 911 calls to play for you. Just came in at my house and started shooting all my friends. They're bleeding to death on the floor. There's people laying on the ground outside, like that are dead. Someone said that they're 99% sure the shooter is Alan Ivanoff. So Alan goes upstairs to the master bedroom, and there's a balcony off of this bedroom. Must be nice to have a balcony off your bedroom, huh? And it makes me think that he had been in this house before. Because it's like he kind of knew that that was there and, and he had it there on purpose. So he goes onto this balcony and he shoots down into the yard. I'm kind of thinking that people were starting to run out of the house when the shooting started. And he thought, well, I'll get them. You know, everybody will be out in the yard and that's how I'll, I'll get them. I, I kind of have a feeling that that's what the reason for shooting from the balcony was. But one of the kids at the party who, he wasn't hit, but he was like grazed by a bullet. His name is Alex Levine. And he makes a statement in court for a victim impact statement. And he's in pretty bad psychological shape. He has to have a, uh, a therapy dog come with him to the sentencing. So let me play for you what the events from his point of view. My parents did not give me any brothers, but I still know what it feels like to have brothers. Now and Ivanov has now made me aware of what it feels like to lose brothers. On July 30th, 2016, just after midnight, I was outside sitting around a fireplace enjoying time with my three friends when Alan Ivanov opened fire on us. Jake Long and Jordan Ebner were to my right and Will Kramer was to my left. All three of them were shot. As I quickly got up and turned to run, I felt intense heat for a split second on my left hand. I did not know at the time that this was a bullet passing my fingertips. As the shots continued, I reached safety behind the house. As I continued running, I heard additional shots coming from inside. Unaware at the time what was occurring, I then ran to the driveway in front of the house. There, I was shot at again from the balcony a few yards above me. I immediately ran down the driveway while the shots continued and made my way down the street to my truck where I then hid in the driver's seat. Minutes later, I don't remember exactly how long, I was, but minutes later I watched Alan jog past my driver's side window carrying an assault rifle. After he passed, I ran back to the house and once I entered, I walked upstairs and I looked down a hallway and I saw Jordan Ebner laying on the ground motionless with his eyes open. Sorry. At that point, in a state of shock, I ran upstairs and hid inside of the room. I then listened to my friends scream for help, cry, and make calls to 911. Eventually, when the police arrived and we were evacuated from the house, Jordan had been moved by the door. And I walked past my best friend laying on the ground with a bloody shirt and his in his eyes staring blankly towards the ceiling. Over many years, I've... I'm okay, I'm sorry. 
many years, I had formed thousands of memories of Jordan, but now I'm unable to think of them without also seeing the image of him in that house on the floor. I'm very fortunate to be here today and speak to the court, as there's no reason other than luck that my fate did not turn out the same as my friends. Jake Long had been one of my closest friends since fourth grade, Jordan Ebner and I had been inseparable since the beginning of high school. We had all often shared our dreams of the future and what we wanted to accomplish, but Alan Ivanov couldn't enter those dreams for them. Anna Bowie had also been a good friend of mine since middle school, when, wherever we first met. I think I can say for anyone that knew her that she was one of the most caring and happy people I have ever had the pleasure to know. The pain I have felt daily since this incident is beyond what I ever believed to be possible. The constant grief, guilt, and the inability to understand why this happened has plagued the life of myself and everyone affected by this tragedy. At the age of 19, I had to attend three of my friends' funerals in the span of two weeks. There is no age where you should have to carry your friend's casket down the aisle, but I know for sure 19 is far too young for that experience. The following months, I was affected with depression, crippling anxiety, and panic attacks, which would occur multiple times a day. I had to watch my family try their best to assist me through things that they could not understand, and I was helpless in aiding them with the struggles this had put on them. Alan Ivanov has taken away the feeling of safety that I have in life. I never experienced someone with a complete lack of empathy or control over basic emotions, but now I have become all too aware that they do in fact exist in this world, and you don't know who they are. Three weeks after the incident, I left for Arizona to attend my second year of university, and after two months, I had to drop out after being unable to deal with the mental and physical issues the experience had left with me. I would like to ask the justice system to place the strictest possible punishment on Alan Ivanov for what he has done. His freedom should be taken from his life, just as he took freedom away from Jake, Jordan, and Anna. Through prescriptions and countless hours of therapy, I have stopped letting this event have a complete control over my life. But even with the emotions numbed, I will never be able to completely escape them. No amount of counseling or medication will ever be able to help the fact that I will now not be able to grow up with my closest friends. I will not be able to text them when I am in need. I will not be able to meet up with them and watch Seahawks games every fall. I will not be able to see them find their careers and make a difference in this world. I will not be able to introduce them to the girl I fall in love with. I will not be able to ask them to be the groomsmen at my wedding. I will not be able to let them meet my children. And I will not be able to tell them just one more time how much I love them. So he shoots at Alex and grazes, you know, the, the bullet grazes him. And the other person he shot at, but fortunately missed, was Tristan. And that's the kid who lives in that house. So by this time... The gun is empty. He shot all 30 of his bullets. He gets into his back into the car and he drives away. By this time, the police know what happened. They know who it is. And here, then his mother calls the police or, or calls 911. Are you thinking that your son is involved at this, in this situation? Yes, yes. He was driving to Portland. Then he got stopped by the cop. And supposedly... Before he drove away or while he was driving, he called one of his friends and he was crying. And he said, quote, I just killed my ex-girlfriend. What's the best way to kill myself? Well, he was out of bullets. Because that would have kind of been the obvious answer. And most people who commit mass shootings, which is what this would be classified as, 
do plan to commit suicide at the end. So I think that's what he had in mind. So the police use, you know, how they can triangulate, you know, cell towers and figure out where he is based on the cell phone. So they found him. He was going south on Interstate 5, which was 100 miles away. So at 1.50 a.m., they stopped him near the, the town of Chehalis. I don't know if I'm saying that right. But that he pulls over and he surrenders peacefully. So he gets in the, the police car, and this, this is the police body cam. I'll play it for you. Driver! Step out of the car and face away. Do it now. God, please forgive me. God, please let me die. So he tells the officer when he's in the car that it, he said, yeah, he, he shot people, but it was an accident and he was confused and not thinking straight. Dude, he walked into a house with a loaded semi-automatic assault rifle. That was not an accident. So he's booked in the Snohomish County Jail. And meanwhile, at the, the Bratvold house, you know, the, where the party took place, police and EMS come just after midnight, and they would find three dead and one wounded. Remember, Will Kramer was the kid who was shot in the shoulder. He also went to the University of Washington with everybody else, and he was 18. He would be in Harborview Medical Center until August 15th with his, his shoulder injury. And the, the dead victims were, of course, Anna, 19-year-old Jordan Ebner, who was from Lake Stevens, and he was attending Everett Community College. He was described as disciplined, respectful, friendly, and on track to pursue aviation. And it, it makes me wonder if, because the Boeing plant was nearby, if he planned to work in that industry someday. And you will hear his dad later on at, at the sentencing hearing say some words. And he wears a wristband that says, Live Love for Jordan. I guess that was a, a saying, like, you know, I'm not sure. I'm sure there's a, a story behind that. But, but that's sort of the, the saying that's associated with Jordan. And he was into baseball. And the other victim was 19-year-old Jake Long. Remember, that, that was the first person shot. He was from Everett. He originally went to the University of Southern Florida, but he was homesick. So he came back to go to the University of Washington. And he played baseball, too. And you will hear his mom talk at the sentencing hearing. Now, while all this is going on, Alan's mother found a letter in their house. And I have a picture of it on the, the Instagram and the, um, the Facebook. It looks like a suicide letter. It's like two and it, like, it names people, but they're, they're blacked out like specific names, like people in his family. And it says things like goodbye, thank you for this or that or whatever. And his mother gave it to their attorney and, and they gave it to the police. And while he was in jail for his sentencing, but, but just, you know, sitting in jail, he wrote a letter to a friend. And I, I think this is very telling, so I'm going to read it to you. It says, quote, you know what's funny? 
The media is going to portray me as some unstable, overly emotional, crazy lunatic. There's nothing wrong with me or the way I think. There's really nothing wrong with me. I have a roof over my head, access to food and resources, a loving family, an amazing job, etc. I'm selfish. That's why I did this. Is this the right thing to do? Of course not. Never, ever, ever, ever in a trillion years. Taking lives is insane. This is like my early retirement. I'm giving up on solving things. I'm a loser. I quit. I think he hit the nail on the head. He's selfish and a loser. I'm not arguing. No argument for me. And in the meantime, the, the shooting really hit the community hard. They had a vigil at Kamiak High School. Remember, that's where all the victims went. There were 200 people there. And then they had one at a, a local church with 800 people there. A few days after the shooting, Alan's parents released the following statement. Quote, we, we raised our son with love and we taught him to love life, to respect other people. Never in our worst nightmares did we think it would come to such tragedy for our family, our friends, or community. Words alone cannot express the depth of anguish our family feels for the loss of Anna, Jake, and Jordan. We pray for Will's health. Our hearts ache to know that their parents are feeling so much pain. Please know that we are thinking of you and wish we could ease your grief. We simply cannot imagine how all of us can heal from this catastrophe. We pray to God for strength for us all." End quote. Can you imagine if you find out that your son, your 19-year-old son, because he's fucked off at his ex-girlfriend, goes out and shoots people, kills three people and wounds another. I mean, what do you even... They've pretty much lost him because he's, you know, he's in prison for the rest of his life. Spoiler alert. But that's got to be horrible. Just imagine, like, the, the shame and the guilt and the what did we do wrong. And But we know... Remember his mom found the gun and she tried to take it back to the store? So that kind of... I don't like to read... I can't re read people's minds. I don't really want to do that. But it kind of gives you a sign that maybe... At least his mother knew that something wasn't right with him. Not saying that they could have prevented this. This makes you wonder, did they totally not see this coming or were they maybe not so shocked? So on September 7th of that year, Washington Attorney General Bob Ferguson called on the state legislature to pass a law barring sales of assault weapons restricting magazines carrying over 10 rounds, remember his had 30, and requiring people buying ammunition to have a background check. Not surprisingly, the NRA was opposed to this. And Attorney General Ferguson made the statement that the only purpose of such weapons, meaning assault weapons, is to kill people, which, you know, he has a point. So, the governor of Washington, Jay Inslee, put forth this, or, or supported this thing called Initiative 1491, which would allow family members to petition the courts for protection orders limiting gun access access for loved ones who 
were, were deemed to be a danger to themselves or others. This was actually voted on the following November, which was, you know, a couple months later, and the voters approved it. So in Washington, the law authorizes the courts to issue a, something called extreme risk protection orders, which can remove an individual's access to firearms based on them being proven to be a danger to themselves or others. Now, while he was in jail, Allen caused a little bit of a stir when he found himself a new hobby, if you want to call it that, writing rap lyrics. And uh, here's, here's one of the rap lyrics. Quote, I know she knew who I was because I saw her face right before I pulled the trigger. Mm, okay. And these he wrote... And he, he sent this particular one to a friend who was also a former inmate. I don't know. It's probably somebody he had met in the jail at some point. And they, you know, decided to be pen pals. And then he, he had lyrics that he referred to as something called the murder game. Quite disturbing. In December of 2016, he pled guilty to three counts of aggravated first-degree murder and two counts of attempted murder in order to avoid the death penalty because the prosecution said that they planned to seek the death penalty. On January 12th of 2017, he appeared before Snohomish County Superior Judge Janice Ellis, who sentenced him to life without parole, she was a really cool judge. I have the clip of what she said to him after, right before she sentenced him. And I've heard a lot of judges talk, both in my career and in, you know, true crime documentaries and things like that. And this is up there with one of the best speeches I've ever heard a judge make in court. So I'll play that for you. But... Some of the, the victim's family made some impact statements. And it, you are, you heard Alex. That's the kid who was grazed by the bullet. And I tried to edit these. When I say edit, there was um, a lot of noise in the courtroom. And sometimes they're hard to hear. There was all these people coughing. It sounded like a TB ward. And there was like papers rustling and cars outside, horns and, and mansions and stuff. And I tried to clean up the audio as best as I could. But here is Will's dad. Remember, Will was the one who was shot in the shoulder. I experienced deep grief over what happened and still do. It has been very intense with wave after wave of deep sorrow moving through me. It's all terribly heartbreaking. Our whole family has experienced deep grief and profound sorrow following the horrific, murderous attack by Mr. Ivanov. This was a truly senseless crime with no justification whatsoever. What Mr. Ivanov did was so egregiously wrong. He took the precious lives of three innocent young people from us. That they lost their lives at such a young age is beyond tragic. My son Will says they were the best of us. He says, I miss them so much. Our hearts ache for the loss of the young, innocent lives of Jordan Ebner, Jake Long, and Anna Bowie. 
pain of their loss is beyond what any human being should have to endure. This story is an absolute nightmare for all involved. I'm so sad for Vicki and Carl Brattle and their son Tristan, in whose home this tragedy took place. They have provided a safe, loving home for my son and his friends to hang out for several years. It is horrifying that this happened in their loving home. To Carl and Vicki and Tristan, I say we love you and pray that your loving home is cleansed of all negativity from this tragedy. I worry about the young men and women who were in the Brattle house that night. Just as they were reaching the cusp of stepping into adulthood, the 16 survivors were subjected to the horror of seeing their friends gunned down and had to run and hide for their lives. I'm concerned about the impacts of that trauma to their psyches. My son Will, who has been raised to be a kind, fun-loving, thoughtful, friendly to others, and a team player, now says he has endless nightmares and thoughts that poison his faith in humanity. I know that many of the others, too, have been experiencing symptoms of post-traumatic stress. What they experienced that night is absolutely horrifying. I speak directly to you. Please don't let Mr. Ivanov take anything more from you. To my son, Will, and all of his friends that survived that night, to Tristan, and Alex and Inyam, to Brandon and Spencer and Andrew, to Devo and EJ and Alexis, to Sean and Christina and to Tony and Tyler and Natalie and Nikki. For each and every one of you, I pray together with many, many others for your healings, for your well-being, for your health, and for your happiness. Our wish for you is to have joyful, meaningful, productive lives. Keep Jake and Anna in your loving memory. Live love for Jordan. And know that the perpetrator of this crime is going to be put away forever. Mr. Ivanov has shown his extremely defective character and he needs to pay for his crimes. Yet there is no way to undo the irreparable harm that Mr. Ivanov has caused. There is no way to bring back the precious lives he took so inhumanely. To add insult to injury, he shows no remorse. In fact, on the contrary, he takes pride in his crime. Since the crime, he has written rap lyrics bragging about murdering his girlfriend and aggrandizing himself in such a sick way. For anything approaching justice in this extraordinarily, extraordinarily egregious crime, Mr. Ivanov should have no possibility ever for parole. He is a completely defective human being. He is disturbed, irrational, and unstable. He is a deranged coward. He should spend his entire life locked up. 
It appears to me that Mr. Ivanov was raised as a spoiled brat, that he was given whatever he wanted whenever he wanted it. It appears that he never heard the word no, and a monster was created, such that when Anna Bui didn't want to get back together with him, he couldn't take it. He felt powerless, and he lost it. He quickly went from wanting her to hating her, to wanting to kill her and anyone else she was associated with. You know what he told his friend after he bought the gun? He texted his friend, I feel good. I have so much power with this gun, so much control. For Mr. Ivanov to be properly punished, his freedom and, co freedom and control should be removed from him to the maximum extent possible. Okay, and here is Anna's sister, Annie, and she's soft-spoken. She's a little bit hard to hear, so I, I hope you can hear this okay. When my family and I received the news that she was murdered, the world shook and my life turned upside down. Every bit of me went numb. This really can't be happening. She's done nothing to deserve this. Neither did Jacob Jordan. And those who witnessed that, what happened that night. Having to wake up every morning, dreading to get out of bed, knowing that my sister's life has been robbed too soon. The terrifying images in my head of the way she died, having to constantly remind myself that I still have a life and that I need to keep going with all of this. That the fact that I would never physically see her again is the worst nightmare. I'm angry at what happened to Emma. I am sad, I am in pain, I am numb, and I feel betrayed. I feel betrayed because I cared and trusted Mr. Ivanov with my baby sister, and now that trust is broken. I hope that Mr. Ivanov serves the maximum sentence for all the crimes that he committed, for the actions he has done, ripped the most precious little sister, daughter, from my family, and we will have to live with this for the rest of our lives, for as long as we breathe. Here is Jordan's dad. His name is Brad. I think Jordan was at the wrong place at the wrong time. But he wasn't. He was in Makotillo. A place he loved. With people he loved. He loved his friend so much. And there's a coward with a gun. takes it all away. I want him to death penalty just for the record. I want him to die. I still do. I want him to be there to watch it happen. He took my first, my first boy. I'll never get to see him get married. I get to walk out of here free. Everybody in this room gets to walk out of here free, except for him. We get to leave here and 
Go be with family. Go visit a friend. We can go to the beach or the park. A movie, a ball game. We could walk out those doors and get in our car. Turn the stereo up as loud as we want and just drive wherever we want. Sky's the limit. For him, not so much. It means 20. 20 is supposed to be the best year of your life. He'll be in prison. It puts a smile on my face. His 30s, he'll be in prison. 40s, he'll be in prison. 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s. That puts a smile on my face. I know mommy and daddy are going to try to protect him with money. It's prison. Money can only get you so far. Hell, it might make it worse. You'll experience pain mentally, emotionally, physically. That puts a smile on my face. Life in prison is great. But I hope one day I turn on the TV or open a newspaper and see that he got what he truly deserved. Coward, that's all I got. And finally, Jake's mom, her name is Autumn, and it's so heartbreaking because before she talks, she goes up to the judge and she sets this vase on the shelf. And she said, this is Jake. He he was cremated and here he is. And it, it's just so sad that she has to carry her baby around in a jar. So here's Jake's mom. I no longer have Jake. Interesting. So I chose today to bring him with me. This is what I have left of my son. Ashley. And the man that sits on my mantle. My life was shattered on July 30th, 2016. That was the night that Jake was brutally and senselessly murdered by Alan Ivanov. As a parent, you spend your entire life panicked that something will happen to your child. You hear of children lost too soon to cancer, accidents, and less, less often violence. You say to yourself, I could never survive that if it happened to me. I can't imagine what that is like. And that statement is true. You cannot comprehend the overwhelming pain caused by child loss. Unless you have lost your child. There are no words to adequately describe how horrific it is. The pain begins behind my eyes. It constricts my throat. I feel like I can no longer swallow. It seeps down into my chest where my heart is squeezed. To the point that I'm just sure it's going to explode. Somehow it doesn't, so the pain continues to my stomach, where it burns and twists into aching, painful knots. I know that there has to be no way that my body will make it another minute. How could it? It hurts too much. But somehow I take that next breath. I think that some people believe that the worst feeling when you've lost a child would be to go to bed at night and face repeated nights of sleeplessness to relive the violence and sadness and horror of losing your child. But I can tell you that is not true. Eventually you cry yourself into exhaustion and you fall asleep. 
And the worst part is when you wake up, you see the sun shining, you take a deep breath, you roll over and then it hits you. Your baby is dead. My sweet Jacob is dead. It's not a new day. It's the continuation of a repeating nightmare. Jake is gone. He is dead. And Alan killed him. The last time I saw my son alive, I fed him. I did his laundry. And I sent him home with a big bag of leftovers. Much to his resistance. He stated he couldn't eat them because he would be leaving in two days for orientation. That said, he humored me. He gave me a big hug. He said, I love you, Mama. And he left. The next time I saw my son was at his viewing. He no longer looked like Jake. His face was caked in makeup. His essence was completely gone. He was cold to the touch. And as much as I squeezed his hand, he did not squeeze back. The cremation director came in to let me know he would return Jake's funeral clothing to me and that he would remove it prior to cremation. I began to sob. And I said, you can't do that. They said he'll be really cold, and I can't let him go. I'm a cold metal grenade make him to a vault of heat that would reduce my son to nothing more than ash and pebbles. I asked that he keep his clothing on, and I had him wear his favorite moccasins so he would be comfortable. I then asked them to cremate him in his casket so that he wouldn't be so scared. <laughs> Eventually, I had to walk away and leave my son's body, knowing I would never see or touch him again. Alan Ivanov has stolen so much from so many people. The impact of his actions have had, has had a ripple effect. Three innocent children are dead because of Alan, because Alan killed them. 18 lives have been irreparably broken and damaged by the horrors they witnessed that night. Hundreds of friends and family members feel helpless. <clears throat> As they and the entire community sit in shock, broken and hurting. But we will rebuild. We will find a way to honor the memories of Jake, Anna, and Jordan. Alan put his own selfish wants above the sanctity of life. Alan's story isn't about Anna, it isn't about love, and it isn't about a broken heart. It is about a man who wanted to feel what it was like to kill people. About a man who wanted others to think that he was in control and wanted to be the center of attention. So what I am thankful for today is that today, Alan, your story ends. Okay, after all those Alan, the, the defendant, spoke, and here's, here's what he had to say for himself. We have prepared a speech uh, with uh, um, the most precious thing any of us have is life. One's own life and the lives of those near to us. Life is more sacred than anything. We are only given one life, or one opportunity to live, love, grow, exist. On July 30th, hopeless, suicidal, and outraged for jealousy, I violated the most fundamental trust that we do by taking the lives of three and harming the fourth. In the process, not only did I deprive three individuals of all the promise, joy, and experience of a lifetime, but I also caused untold anguish, suffering, and pain to an entire community. I cannot imagine the agony of a parent losing a child, but I am devastated by the enormity and finality of my misdeed. I have ruined my life. 
I have caused my family a lifetime of sadness and loss. I have ended all my friendships. So even though I cannot put myself in any of your places, I do have an idea of how completely awful my actions were and the damage I have caused, damage which cannot be undone. I want to apologize wholeheartedly to all those whose lives I've taken, Anna, Jordan, and Jake, and all of you whose lives have been so darkened by my actions, parents, relatives, and friends, as well as Will and his loved ones. I understand that this has been a nightmare for all of you. It certainly has been for me. And I don't know when, if ever, the darkness of my crimes will lift. I wish to share that not a single day has gone by for me without reflection and remorse. I've cried my eyes out day after day. While I've been portrayed as a cruel, heartless monster and this murder has been judged as premeditated, I want everyone to know that I did not attempt for events to unfold as they did that night. In a moment of shock, I pulled the trigger because I couldn't control my emotions. Not because I was born a cold-blooded killer. I don't know what I thought would happen. I waited outside that house for hours, my heart racing like it overflowed. And when I was discovered, it all happened so fast. Satan was in control. I have replayed the events over and over. How could I have done this? I cannot say, but I know that it was not my intention to take anyone's life. I never, ever was a violent or vindictive person, and until that night, I was more straight and narrow than anyone I know. Dear Anna's family, perhaps anything I say will come off as self-serving and offensive, but please hear me out. Anna visits me in my dreams and talks to me all the time. I cannot explain how much I loved her and how much I still am forever will. I'll never be speaking to the public again. I forfeited that right. However, I'd like everyone to hear loud and clear that it was the ease of acquiring a gun that enabled me to act on my emotions. I don't mean to absolve myself of guilt or dodge responsibility, but I know for a fact that even in the feverish state that I was in, I never could have done this with my hands. I wish they never sold me a firearm, and I wish I was never legally allowed to buy one. I hope there will be continuous effort to change the gun law so that others can make just a tragic mistake. I would give anything to undo what I have done. If I could give my own life to bring the lives of Anna, Jordan, and Jake back, I would do so in a heartbeat. There is no justification for what I did. I take full responsibility, and I will spend the remainder of my life striving, however I can, to make amends for this horrible deed. Again, I am so, so sorry for causing all of you to be here today for causing so much senseless pain. I will forever pray for the victims, the families, friends, our community, my family, and everyone who has suffered from this tragedy. May God be with all of you. I'm sorry. Can you get over this dude? He has the balls to blame the gun store for selling him a gun. Are, are you serious? And then he, he said... Satan was in charge? Really? Are, are you seriously going to use the devil made me do it excuse? That's like literally the oldest excuse there is. So remember what I said? I think it was last episode or, or the one before about every criminal I've ever met. They can't take responsibility for their actions. Um, do you see that here? I mean, it, it's like glaringly obvious and well the judge agrees is here's the judge mr ivanov 
when you entered your guilty plea and completed your statement of defendant on plea of guilty, you stood before me and acknowledged as I read your statement that you intentionally and with premeditation killed Anna Bowie, Jacob Long, and Jordan Ebner. Today, you stand before this court and say, you didn't intend this. Explain yourself. You stand by your statement that with premeditation, you killed Anna Bowie, Jacob Long, and Jordan Ebner. And that you discharged your firearm with premeditation in an attempt to murder Will Kramer, Tristan Bradbold, and Alex Levine? Yes. Yes. Mr. Ivanov, the case, the charging document, the affidavit of probable cause, they don't begin to capture the horror, the nuance, the impact of your actions, of your premeditated crimes. Today, in this place, some of that has been shared. I heard about Anna Bowie, a young woman full of life, full of promise, a world changer. I heard about Jordan Ebner, a light to all, always positive. I learned about Jacob Long, a gifted young man, forward-looking, known for his intellect and his athleticism. They loved unconditionally by their families, their friends, and the others whom they touched. I learned about Will Kramer, Tristan Fratfold, Alex Levine, also loved, also admired for their promise, for the goodness in their hearts. I also heard about the impact of your actions, Dacian, the shattering, the waves of deep despair, the incomprehensible emotions, and the horrifying facts, the irreparable harm suffered, and the indescribable pain, the ripping away of so much, and a world turned upside down. I have heard about numbing. I have heard anger. I have heard despair. I have had a continuous nightmare described. I have heard parents grieve the incomprehensible loss of a child. Siblings describe the equally incomprehensible loss of a sister, of a brother. I have heard others describe the loss of their family members, their friends, their loved ones.
So I hope you can see that when you emptied that clip on July 30th of 2016, when you struck Anna and Jacob and Jake, you took away their future and their promise. And when you shot Will and you shot at the others, all gathered for an evening in Mukilteo, you harmed all who love them, who value them, and for those that died, everyone who misses them. Mr. Ivanov, this is what you have done. Your actions are heinous. They are unpardonable. You deserve to be separated from society for the remainder of your life, and you shall. There is no just punishment other than to separate you from society for the remainder of your life and that shall be the sentence of this court. It is the court's view that this is both just punishment and necessary to protect the community. So he will be spending the rest of his life in the Washington State Penitentiary in Walla Walla, known as The Walls. He's now 24 years old, and he has some pretty famous people in there to keep him company. Gary Ridgway, remember the Green River Killer? And Kenneth Bianchi, he's half of the duo known as the Hillside Stranglers. While he is in prison, he's working on his associate's degree, and he is involved in something called sustainable practices. And I, I had to look that up. And apparently it, it's like green stuff like building and energy, transportation, climate protection, waste reduction, recycling. I'm glad he's doing something like that because obviously he's a brilliant dude and he had such a bright future and he literally just threw it away, just threw his life away. So hopefully he can do something good in prison with his intellect. And then I found out something extremely disturbing. He's on something called meetaninmate.com. And yeah, that's what you think it is. You know, they have like Matchmaker and Match.com and stuff like that. It's a, it's a service that lets inmates have, meet pen pals. So I saw this, I'm like, what the fuck? So I, I looked at this site and I got his, his profile with his picture and his, you know, he's like, I'm looking for blah, blah, blah. And I I shared it with him. It's not I, I hope no I hope you don't write to him. But I just wanted you to see this. I, I just I couldn't get over this. I'm like why is this a thing? First of all, why do inmates have access to email? Why are they allowed on the internet? I, I seriously don't understand that. And it's just beyond me. And I've heard people complain about uh People in prison are like, oh, yeah, they shouldn't have TV, and they shouldn't have this and that, and I don't agree with that. I mean, they have to have something to do, because, take my word for it, if they didn't, it would be hell on the people who have to work there, like the COs, 
you have to have something to keep them quiet and busy. Or what they do is they riot and they start trouble. And you need a method of behavior control, like a, a reward system. You know how they have jobs and they can earn some money and get stuff out of the commissary, like there are some treats and whatnot. If, if prisons and jails didn't have programs like that, like activities and the jobs and the commissary, they would just go nuts and be trouble. But I think that the uh, access to the Internet is just too taking it too far. I mean, that's just my own personal opinion. But I, I have a, a funny little story while I'm thinking of it. One time I went into our jail to, um, I, I was doing a pre-sentence investigation on somebody who was in jail. And we would have to go in and talk to them. And I went into the, it, it's called a pod and it's like a, uh, there's a big, like open area, they have tables, and it almost looks kind of like a cafeteria. Like they, they have tables they can sit at, and they have a couple TVs they can watch. And I noticed all these inmates gathered around the TV, staring at it. Like they were absolutely, totally enraptured by whatever was on TV. And I'm thinking, like at the angle I was at, I couldn't see what, what they were watching. I'm like, what are they so interested in? What is so fascinating? to all these inmates and it was Oprah and I just I don't know why I just that was so funny I mean it was just like okay but I mean you, you got to give them stuff to do and keep them quiet so the only other good thing is that there is a scholarship in Anna's name and I have the information up for it on my uh, the Instagram and Facebook Plus, I put a link to it in the show notes so that if you want to donate. I did make a donation on behalf of True Crime University. It's called the Anna Bowie World of Hope. And because she studied abroad, she went to Europe, remember, and she had such a good time. The scholarship is for people, students at the University of Washington who want to study abroad. That's what it's for. So, check that out. The thing that strikes me most about this case is it's just sad overall. These people were 19 years old, and their their lives are gone for what? For nothing. And I think it was Will's dad who said in, in court about all these people with PTSD. I mean, Alex has to have a therapy dog with him. I'm glad he has the dog. He's cute. He's white or she or whatever was with him in court. And, uh, I mean, that's, you know, they're, they're going to be messed up for life. Every person who was at the party was affected, even if they weren't physically hurt. They were still there. And, I mean, it has to be a, a terrible thing to have to witness. And Alan himself, I mean, he, we know he was smart. He had literally had everything he he had money he was good looking kid he was smart and he just threw it all away which brings me to the psychology of him i'm not aware of any diagnoses or mental illness any psychiatric evaluations or anything that he's had i think he said it best 
in that letter when he said he was selfish. I mean, I really think that that's the best explanation. And the words that come to mind are spoiled brat. I know that's not very, not a diagnosis, calling somebody a spoiled brat, but it you can't say that he snapped because this was something that was, was very much planned out and thought about. I mean, he purposely went to the gun store. He bought the rifle. And then he even went back and bought more ammo. He sat there in the car for two hours before he went in and, and shot at people. That's probably the biggest sign of premeditation. And what he was talking about, you know, with his social media. Hey, look, look at my big gun. Look at me and my big-ass gun. Aren't I cool? Aren't I, you know, I'm going to kill people. I mean, he literally bragged that he was going to kill people. And I really think that he planned to kill himself after he was done, but that he ran out of bullets. Oh, I said I would give you some some fun facts. So, here's one. Fish can cough and yawn. I'd like to know how they know this. Here's a disgusting one. Rooster combs, you know, those like red, floppy, like skin things on roosters, are often used by French and Italian chefs to garnish poultry dishes. That's like, that's like something Albert Fish would eat. And one about football, which I'm not really into, but there are six NFL teams that don't have cheerleaders. The Bills, the Bears, the Browns, the Steelers the Packers, and the Giants. So, I hope that you uh, learned something from today's lesson. I know hindsight is twenty twenty, but when you see warning signs or when you see disturbing behavior in people, and I'm referencing the social media by Alan about I'm going to kill people and I'm going to shoot people. That's not cute or funny. I know most people think, oh, yeah, he's just saying that or he's not going to do that or he doesn't mean it or whatever. But if you're in doubt at all, it's probably safest to alert somebody. If, in his case, he's he's young, so maybe his parents. If it's an older person, maybe the police. I mean, if, even if they... Maybe they ignore you or whatever, but at least you tried. I think I think that you should at least try to bring somebody's attention to something like that. It makes me wonder if in the, the couple weeks before the shooting, all the uh, his social media blitz with, you know, look at my gun. I'm gonna I'm gonna be a shooter. I'm gonna do this and that and blah blah blah. If he wasn't crying out for help. Like, somebody stopped me. I have a feeling he may have been. That's just a thought. That just now occurred to me. Of course, I have no way to know that, but I'm just speculating. So, next week, we are going to talk about... Well, I did this case. I was researching something else, and I I just came across this, and I thought, oh, you know, I want to tell people about this. But next next week, I'm going to do the case that I originally planned to do 
And it's, I'll give you a hint, it takes place in Canada. So, I don't know if I have any listeners in Canada. If I do, say hello. I love Canada. I love Canadians. I love hockey. So, I, I would make a good Canadian. I like hockey and poutine. If you don't know what poutine is, it is like the Canadian national snack. French fries covered with gravy and cheese curds. It's so good. I would like to dedicate this episode to Anna Bowie, Jake Long, and Jordan Ebner. Thank you for listening, everybody, and I will see you back here same time next week.